Apparently, I'm too short if I stand down there, so I've got to stand up here. I don't love it, but here we go. <laughs> I'm just going to move a few bits out of the way. But as I do that, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your precious word. And uh, Lord, I just pray today that you'd awaken us to the things that you want to speak to us this morning. Thank you that you always love chatting with us. And so as we look at your word together, would you speak to us? And would you help us to be awake to what it is you're saying? Amen. So you might want to have Ezra chapter 8 this week, and then next week is our final little bit in the book of Ezra. And if you've been following along, you'll realize that it's possibly not the easiest book to study in the Bible. And you might be wondering what on earth I'm going to preach out of the chapter we had read to us. And you can give me your best sermons at the back at the end, and I'll go, oh, great, we're sticking you on the preaching rotor next. Um, So here we go. But I wanted to start by asking you, I wonder what the hardest journey you've ever made. I wonder what the hardest journey is that you've ever made. I think we could have some fascinating chats at tea and coffee after that about that. I know Prudence has got some stories of difficult journeys in Uganda. But I wonder for you, what's been the hardest journey you've ever had to make? Might be an emotional one or a physical one. There were lots of contenders for me um, as I was thinking about this. I was thinking about screaming child on aeroplane, thinking I've never been hated by so many people all at the same time. Um, I was thinking about a terrifying journey when we moved house and I had to walk to secondary school on my own and I didn't know anyone and I felt terrified inside. And then I was thinking as well of um, a story. Me and Richard went to visit our mission partners, Nabil and Sarah, and they, um, they uh, came and spoke at our weekend away recently. They're absolutely wonderful people. And they spent a, we had a really busy day looking around a lot of Lebanon. And um, I began to feel a bit ill at the end of the day. Uh, and Nabil could see that I didn't look very well. So he invited me to sit up front in the car on the journey back home. And we got kind of stuck in a motorway and we were kind of in the middle lane and I just, I knew this is it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sick. And you don't have very long to think about it in that moment of what you're going to do. And there was no bags in the car, there was nothing I could do, I just thought the best, the only option I've got, I can't get out of the car in the middle of a motorway, the only option I've got is to wind down the window and, and go outwards. At that moment... The traffic moved, and as I wound down my window, Sarah in the back decided to wind down hers. And so as I vomited out that way, it all went back in and hit Sarah on the face. It is amazing that they are still our mission partners, and uh, all I can say is that Sarah is such a gracious lady. Anyway, we will have fun over tea and coffee talking about our worst journeys. You see, we're in the book of Ezra, and we've been seeing this story unfold of God's people who'd been captured and taken off from their homeland to Babylon. Now, through miraculous circumstances and other things that happen, they're being set free to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. And they've got to make the journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. 
They've been given this amazing leader, Ezra, a man after God's heart, a man who studied God's word carefully, who put what he studied into practice and then taught it to others. And he is there leading them. But this journey was not going to be easy. It would take them about four months to make their way from Babylon to Jerusalem. There were no port-a-loo cabins. There was no hot running water. And those of you that might go on a Christian camp this summer, it's even worse than that. Because every day they had to put up their tent and pack it up again and then travel and then put it up again. Some of the terrain may have been very difficult to cross. They would have had their children with them, their possessions. They would have been in danger from bandits on the way, perhaps from wild beasts. The journey was going to be difficult. Yet open chapter 8, and here's what we find out about the journey. In verse 1, we hear about some people that went on that journey. And then in verse 31 and 32, it says this, The hand of our God was on us. He protected us from the enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. That's all we hear about this mega journey. Now I can tell you folks that if as a church family we decided to go on a four-month trek, there would be blogs written about it, there'd be some tweetings going on, there'd be photographic evidence, and we would be telling our stories. But not Ezra. They don't seem to be very interested in the journey. His focus is all about the destination. He wants us to realize that the only thing that mattered was the destination that they were called to. They were called to rebuild the temple and to seek God's presence among them. And that's where they were headed. It's a bit like Paul when he says in Philippians 3, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And so today the first thing I want to ask us as we listen to this this morning is to say, what focus are you giving to the destination? What things are really going to matter to you in this life with your eyes on the destination what does it mean for you in the workplace you're in the life space you're in in the the physical place God has placed you what does it mean for you to be focused upon building God's kingdom you see, my hunch is, is that if you're anything like me, that, that some of us here get just sucked into the same worries and the same focuses of the world. We forget that we're so free when we look to God. We forget to focus on the destination. We forget to fling back and say, do you know what? Hey, what? It doesn't matter if I end up poor in this life. I mean, after all, the poor get to inherit the kingdom. So if I do end up poor in this life, it doesn't actually matter. Do you know what? It doesn't matter if I get misunderstood in this life, as long as I've followed what God has been calling and saying to me it doesn't 
matter. I don't need to get sucked up in the same worries and concerns of this world. And do you know what else? I don't need to cram everything into now. We spend so much time trying to cram the most amount of experiences in, the most travel opportunities, to build the most amazing homes that we can. We try and cram everything into now. Why? Because we say this. We say the journey is everything in the world. Why? Because in the world, the destination is an anticlimax. And so we say, let's drink today, for we're dead tomorrow. And there's some good stuff in that, right? About appreciating the day we're in and enjoying the journey, being thankful for things along the way, for taking note of what is around us now that's good and celebrating that. That's all good. But if our focus is that, then we miss out so much. Rather, as a Christian, our focus is to be the destination. Our focus is to say, do you know what? I'm going to give everything now for gaining Christ. And I might want to visit Peru, and I might never get to do it now, right? Because I might not. But do you know what I will get to see Peru? I will. I'm going to get to see it in the new heaven and the new earth, and I'm going to get to see Peru as it should have been in all its glorious beauty, in its perfected state, is where I might get to visit it. I don't need to cram everything into now. But what's significant is the focus of the destination. Is what I do now going to be about building the kingdom of God? A couple of other things I'm going to bring our attention to as we look at this passage. The first is that God's hand is a saving and creating hand. And the second is that God's hand inspires faith-filled activity. You see, in this chapter, we see the activity of God's people, but we also see the activity of God in the background. And throughout the book of Ezra, we get this incredible phrase, the hand of God, the hand of God. Or in some places it says, the gracious hand of our God is on us. And these phrases conjure up the image of being held, of being affirmed and directed by God. God is a perfect father. Little children will naturally go and take the hand of a trusted adult And they'll cling on to that hand because as they do that, they feel security and safety and love and affirmation. And they don't stay holding that hand, those children, because they've got a trusted adult. They'll then let go of that hand and they'll run and they'll cause chaos and mayhem all over the place. And then if if something goes a bit wrong or they feel a bit wobbly, they run back and they grab hold of that hand again that's there for them. And all through Ezra, we get the sense of our Father God's hand being there for his people. And it's a beautiful image. The metaphor of God's hand or outstretched arm is found throughout Scripture. Scripture. 
Its roots are found back in the first exodus where God hears the cries of his people and he moves in powerful ways that they are allowed out of Egypt and through the sea into freedom. Exodus 3 verses 19 to 20 says this, But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. God's hand saving his people. God's hand is at work saving The other way God's hand is at work is in creating. God's hand is found as a metaphor for God's power in creative work. In Isaiah chapter 66, the Lord says, Look, my hand has made all these things. The psalmists speak of the work of God's fingers. And in the New Testament, we have one of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2 verse 10, where it says, We are God's handiwork. God's hand saving and creating is with his people here in Ezra chapter 8. And the truth is, is that it's with God's people today, now, too. So we hear in chapter 8, three times God's hand is on them, is with them as they give up the comforts of Babylon, as they make this perilous journey to Jerusalem, God's saving and creating hand is with them. Robert Files says um, something really beautiful, a beautiful quote, and it says this. So it has always been in God's working with people that there have been formidable enemies, stiff opposition, and much discouragement in the face of inadequate resources. God's counterattack has often seemed so feeble and inadequate. In the very early days when Eden had become Babel and the nations were in wholesale retreat from godliness, God's response was to set his hand on Abraham and amidst the raging and posturing of kings and empires to call him to another kind of city whose builder and architect was God. When the Roman emperor, the Herod family, and the whole establishment were hostile or indifferent, God's response was a baby in an ox's stall. And thus did the Lord put down the mighty from their thrones. If our work, however insignificant it may seem, is undergirded by the gracious hand of the Lord, it will not only prosper but will last into eternity. And this hand of God, at this fragile beginning of calling those people out from Babylon, back to the unknown where they've got to rebuild their temple, and it's all looking a bit weak and feeble, this same saving, creative hand of God was on them. And it's true today. This hand of God also inspired these people to faith-filled activity. 
We see a lot of activity going on in the chapter in verses 15 to 20. We see some really busy activity, some, some leadership tasks. Ezra has got to find some Levites. None of the Levites have agreed to come with them to help them build the temple. And back then, they needed some Levites to go and help do what only Levites knew how to do. So they needed some of them to come. Anyone here ever tried to do a rota of volunteers? Yeah, well, right now you will feel Ezra's pain because none of the Levites have volunteered to come with them. Okay, so Ezra's in trouble and he puts in this brilliant bit of tactic. He gets his other leaders and he says, right, we're going to have to go and ask people individually to come and help. And uh, because communication's a difficult thing, he says, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I want to say. I don't trust you're going to get the message across properly. So I'm going to give you the words to say and tell you to go and tell the people individually to come and help. So they all go out and they go and do this. And they get this one guy, Sherebiah, who comes along and he's going to be a brilliant key leader for them. And then they get 38 other volunteers. And when I read that, I was like, that is brilliant. If 38 people sign up today for the tea and coffee, Rosa, I'll be thrilled, Lord. That would be brilliant. Actually, for them, it was a little bit disappointing. You see, there were actually loads and loads of Levites in Babylon. And that number, Sherebiah plus the 38, probably would have been a bit disappointing. But then we learn something amazing about Ezra because he chooses not to focus on who hasn't signed up. He focuses on those that have and gets on with the task God's called him to do, trusting in God anyway. And so if you ever lead a rotor of volunteers, you just gotta, you just got to go for that tactic, I think. <laughs> so watch out, church, because I might come and ask you individually. Anyway, so... They trust that God's hand is with them. And then not only do they get about that busy task of organizing themselves and the work, but they also get on with the activity of praying and fasting. You see, they weren't immune to kind of the normal worries. They mention in verse 21 their children, their possessions. They do have normal human concerns about this big journey they're going to take. And so they turn that to prayer and to fasting. Normal worries allowed to have them normal, turn it to prayer and fasting. And so Ezra gets busy, the busyness of activity and the busyness of the business of prayer. And it is God's hand on him that allows him to act in faith in this way. Because I want to say something. I think that the people that did come out of Babylon to Jerusalem would have been the people who'd learnt about God and God's hand. Because faith in God doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from being taught and being shown who God is. And so my theory is, is that the ones that went on that risky journey were the ones who'd had the story of faith whispered in their ears. That in the dry and desert place of Babylon, their grandmas had whispered the stories of the parting of the Red Sea 
of the almighty God who is still their God. And so that when the time was right, they were ready to respond in faith. And somehow, church today, we've got to become the people who whisper the stories of God on to the next generations, on to the people who are younger than us in faith. Because God can take that seed and bring life out of it. And somehow that's not going to happen by the preacher up the front. It happens best one-on-one, in small groups, in choosing to offer a bit of mentoring to someone younger than yourself. And as we do that for and with each other, it builds faith amongst our community as we hear about the hand of God. And so I want to encourage you, because it's a lie today out there, that we, um, we live in a society, don't we, where the young and the old don't talk that much to each other unless they have to. Um, and we've got to, as a church, be breaking that barrier down. We've got to be intergenerational. It's got to be part of what we're about. And it's got to be part of what we're about here in Chiswick, that actually young and old mix, that everybody should be rushing to volunteer to help at least once a year with one child activity of some sort in this place. Because it's a fundamental calling of us to whisper the truth on to others. Children might not be your best thing. Find a young adult. Next best thing. Find an older person than you in age, but has only just become a Christian. And doesn't know what it means to do a quiet time. Or how to feed themselves from God's word and teach them what you know. And then when you've taught them what you know, help them find someone else who can take them even further in their journey of faith. But we should be running to do these things for each other and with each other. And if this all sounds a little overwhelming, well, the call is simply to remember our destination to remember the new heaven and earth that set out before us, to remember what's to come, because then we all consider every little irksome thing on this life as nothing compared to what's to come. God is with us, and sometimes it will look like, what? A baby in an ox's stable, that's your answer. What? Christchurch W4, that's your answer for Chiswick. Really, Lord, looks a bit weak to me. It is his answer. And what we do to build the kingdom will have his blessing all over it. And that work is the work that will last for eternity. We gathered round a young adult a few weeks back in here and we prayed for her as she headed off to Australia. She'd been in this church family for less than a year. She said, I have grown so much in my faith here. I am heading back to Australia to serve Jesus. 
I would never have said that when I first arrived at this church. Folks, that's the stuff of building God's kingdom. When we care for the widows and the orphans, we're building God's kingdom. When we work intergenerationally and go against the isolation in our society, we are working to build God's kingdom. And those things last. Let's pray. Father, there's so much in the book of Ezra. Would you take uh, what you want to say to us this morning and just allow us to hear it from you? Would you raise our faith levels here in this place? Trusting that your hand is upon us. Amen.